Welcome to Sex Care is Self Care, a conversation on women's sexual health brought to you by the Patty Brisbane Foundation for Women's Sexual Health. I'm your host, Patty Brisbane. Today we are discussing vaginitis, uh, specifically yeast infections, which are one of the most common causes of vaginitis. Dr. Michael Critchman and our nurse practitioner, Barbara Din, are here today to answer all of your questions. Now, Barbara, I'm gonna start with you today. Okay. So, I want you to tell our listeners who you are, where you're from, what, what do you do on a daily basis, and what is a nurse practitioner? Oh, sure. Well, I'm Barb Dean. I'm a women's health nurse practitioner. I practice in the heart of Silicon Valley. And nurse practitioners are uh, primary care providers who examine, diagnose, prescribe, and treat a variety of conditions, you know, in offices, hospitals, lots of other places. I love working with women, and I'm particularly excited to talk to you about yeast infections because so many women have them, mm -hmm. and there's a lot that can be done. Yeah, and I love seeing, and I hear so many rave reviews on if people are able to see a nurse practitioner because they really listen. I think so. Um, we are really schooled in care and cure. Oh, and I forgot to mention, I'm Nurse Barb on NBC's California Live. So I'm a health expert on uh, television. And that gives me a great opportunity to provide public health information. That's, that's amazing, and it's, it's needed. Dr. Critchman? Hi, Patty. Um, it's really a great pleasure to be here. I'm Dr. Michael Critchman. I am a sexual medicine gynecologist. I'm board certified in OBGYN. Uh, I'm in the trenches. I have three clinical practices. I see women who have had a history of cancer or um, are worried about cancer, complex gynecological issues, complex yeast infections as well on a daily basis. And, you know, I'm really fortunate to be on the Patty Brisbane Foundation Medical Advisory Board. I'm the chair. I've been uh, involved with the foundation for quite some time and um, really very excited about all the work we're doing in terms of granting really hardcore good research that is changing the lives of women uh, on a daily basis. I mean, I think it is really, really important that you are set on your mission to empower women to take control over their bodies, their anatomy, their sexual health and wellness. Um, so that's one of my uh, great achievements is to be involved in that and doing a lot of granting uh, for uh, good quality research. And I'm really excited to be here with Barb. We go back a long way and, you know, hopefully at the end we'll be able to talk a little bit about Barb, how she has a very strong passion for uh, care outside of the United States, which I think is really very important to talk about as well. So uh, very excited to be here talking about really a common condition um, and really breathing new life into it. And nobody better than Barb to talk about it. Well, I'm, I'm excited that both of you are here and I'm very grateful that you're here to share this with our listeners because they want to be educated. They want to know. They want to be able to talk to their healthcare providers. Um, Barb, can you explain to our listeners what is vaginitis and what causes this condition and how does it relate to yeast infections? Well, Patty, it's such a great question and it comes up all the time, right? So vaginitis simply means a vaginal infection and there's lots of different kinds. 
um, th that can cause irritation, itching, burning. And you know, sometimes I tell people that it's kind of like having a mosquito bite and a paper cut at the same time in one of the most tender areas of your body. Mm -hmm. And women may or may not notice discharge. They may see like a white curdy discharge that kind of looks like cottage cheese. But what happens, Patty, is that so many times when a woman has some irritation, they kind of naturally assume it's yeast, right, Michael? And then they head to the drugstore and they try something and oftentimes it doesn't work very well. That's not good when you go there yourself and try to pick something off the shelf. And we're gonna to get to that one too today. Dr. Critchman, what age can a woman, um, where does it start where she could be starting with these yeast infections? Well, Patty, really, you know, if you think about the biology, the vagina has a balance between, I would say, good and bad bacteria that live together in, you know, peace and harmony, and they normally uh, grow and regress and what have you. So really, at any age, uh, a woman can get a yeast infection when there's some kind of imbalance in this, uh, what we call the vaginal biome, where the organisms that are living there. So I think that's really important to recognize. And one thing I wanted to build on with what Barb had mentioned is the symptoms of burning, itching, and pain. Um, it's very important to remember that women have also been conditioned to believe that a little symptoms are okay. And what I mean by that is very often we'll have a woman who we see in our office and we'll say, do you have any signs or symptoms or anything? And she'll say, no, everything is perfect. And then we'll do our exam and we'll see you know, we'll have a high clinical suspicion that there might be an infection and we'll do a culture. And then we'll call them back and say, you know, your culture was positive for yeast. Um, are you sure you don't have symptoms? And she'll say, yeah, you know, it burns a little bit once in a while. It has pain once in a while, but that's normal. But that's normal, but that's okay. And I say, no, yeah. it's not okay. So it's very important to empower women to know their bodies and understand what is normal and what's not normal. I know you see that as well. Oh, for sure, and I think it is empowering. And it's also helping women not to just always adapt, always say, well, I'm too busy, I have to take care of everybody else in my life, I have a little irritation, a little itch, but maybe it'll go away, and then it can get worse and worse and worse. And I think that when we empower women to say, hold on a second, there's something going on here, what can I do about it? It really helps because as women, as you know, Patty, women adapt to everything, but they mm -hmm. shouldn't be adapting to something that can make it really hard to concentrate at work, concentrate at home, concentrate in any area of their life. That, that is, that's good to know because I'd hate to think somebody is out there and having these symptoms, ignoring them, and then waiting till the symptoms come back and just saying, okay, so when she first starts having these symptoms, should she seek medical care? Well, when a woman starts to have symptoms, I guess the first question would be, you know, how long do they last? And if it, if it goes away, because all of us have experienced a little burning or a little itching, but it goes away in 10 or 15 minutes, or by the time you decide what you're going to do, you don't have symptoms, that's okay. Mm -hmm. But if you have symptoms for more than a few hours, it's okay to either reach out to your healthcare provider, there's a lot of telehealth services now, and sometimes you don't actually have to stop what you're doing, take those two hours away from work or yeah. home to go see your provider, they can prescribe um, over the phone or through telehealth. 
So Barbara, let me ask you this. Um, can you talk to us about how yeast infections impact sex? Not just, and not just the physical side, but the mental side effects itself, uh, like self-esteem and relationships and all of those things. Patty, you bring up one of the most important aspects of this because when a woman has any kind of irritation or infection, the first thing they think is, what is this? What could it be? Oh my God. And I've had patients think, oh, is this herpes? Is this cancer? Um, I've had uh, lots of people never have a yeast infection before and think it's a sexually transmitted infection and really worry. But when you talk about the self-esteem issues, it's what am I doing wrong? Is my partner going to judge me? Mm -hmm. If I tell my partner I have something going on, are they going to think that I'm not doing something right or I've been making other choices in my relationships or I'm doing something else? And there's so much fear of bringing this up with partners. And, and I'll tell you, I, I did a little sort of in um, a little survey and it's um, I talked to a lot of men and I said, have you ever been told by your partner that you have, that she has a yeast infection? They're like, what's that? So when we know that most women have had a yeast infection sometime in their life and that most men haven't heard about it, it's that we're holding on to this. And I, of course, I'm talking about heterosexual relationships, but oftentimes we don't want to open up Pandora's box and say, oh, by the way, I have a little itch thing going on, because guess what? They're going to have a million questions. How did you get it? Where is it? What is it? Is it lice? Is it scabies? Is it blah, 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 right, Michael? Right. How and did you get it? Yeah, yeah. And, then, mm -hmm. and then, you know, what you're hearing, what I'm hearing from you is this self-blame. Yeah. Right? There's something wrong with me. Mm -hmm. What did I do? Mm -hmm. um, what's wrong with me? Uh, and again, I think that puts a completely negative st stigma on this. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we know that the average woman, there was like 70% of all women will have at least one uh, episode. And it's not necessarily anything that they've done proactively. We know that the majority of women have no risk factors for a yeast, yeast infection. We know that there's some risk factors, but when we see a woman and she has a yeast infection, it has nothing to do with what they did, what they wore, what they said, what they ate, what, you know, and again, people are looking for a reason to really blame themselves. So I'm going to ask this, because this is not on here, so I'm going to ask. So she does have something going on, and she does find out that she has a yeast infection. Does her partner need to be treated? No. No, okay. her partner does not need to be treated unless he also has symptoms and very likely he doesn't because guess what? Our anatomy is different. Mm -hmm. So remember women, right? Our vaginas have different kinds of tissue than a man's penis. Now some men, Michael, right? If they have not been circumcised, they might get, they may have a little bit increased risk of having a little itching, but they're, remember, their genitals are exposed to a lot of right. air, and ours are not, so yes. it's a little bit different. Yeah, yeah. and I, I think it's important to recognize that having a yeast infection is not what we would call in air quotes sexually transmitted infection, right? So it's typically not transmitted from one partner to the next. Mm -hmm. So, and again, that is a big fear 
the partner. What's the partner going to say? What's the partner going to do? And again, some of the ramifications about yeast is is withdrawal from the relationship, mm-hmm. right? And then then it's this whole big Pandora's box. What's going on? Um, why are we not together? We were together all the time, and you know. And again, it's again conspiracy of silence, not disclosing, not talking. A lot of myths uh, surrounding the condition as well. Um, if I could just add, and then for women, like you say, withdraw from the relationship, what I see is women who have chronic yeast infections. They either don't get the right treatment or they're not, they're just not getting better um, for what a variety of reasons, which we can get into later. But then it's like, it hurts so much to have sex and, mm-hmm. and partners don't want that and women don't want that. And so they can, they can shy away. Mm-hmm. And I've had also patients who've had chronic yeast infections and then be so hesitant to have sex that they're so tense they can't relax, they can't enjoy themselves even when it's gone. So I'm gonna I'm gonna ask these questions. Okay. I really thought when I was younger I had the best best gynecologist because one thing he set me down in the very beginning and says, okay, you know that needs to air out at night, right? So don't be sleeping with any panties on. Also, I remember my mom saying, don't sit too long in a wet bathing suit. Do some of these things really have an effect? Does clothing have an effect? Or sitting in a bathing suit? Or, you know, uh, not wearing panties to bed? Is this really, is this good advice, bad advice? Talk about it, because I've I've been asked this. Well, to Michael's point about this very delicate <clears throat> ecosystem in our vagina, mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of things that can increase the risk of having a yeast infection. Things like having diabetes or taking an antibiotic for a bladder infection or even an upper respiratory infection. Um, and, but anything that disrupts that delicate balance can do it. And yes, it's possible, it's very possible that if you're on a honeymoon and you're having a a lot of great sex and you're in the tropics um, and it's warm and it's moist and it's wet, yes, there could be several factors that lead to a yeast infection. But to your point, a woman can do everything right. She can be completely fine, not have any risk factors and still get a yeast infection. I do want to mention one other thing and that's those women who are on immunosuppressant medications. Mm. They're much more likely to develop a yeast infection. I guess the the take home message though is, ladies, don't blame yourself. You can do everything right right, and still you can have a yeast infection. Of course, we wanna eliminate those risk factors, right? Right, and of course, there's, I wanna talk about those two factors that you talked about is the bathing suit. And I think the important concept, very often we say is, change the bathing suit often. And mm-hmm. really it depends on you know the chlorine. And chlorine is an irritant for the vulva. Um, so again, if you're sitting in hot tubs and moist environment, uh, we tell people to change their clothes. It's the same thing what we're seeing, and I call it COVID candidiasis. We've seen women that are sitting in front of the Zoom uh, for 10, 12 hours. They're still wearing their yoga pants. Yeah, I've heard they yoga are, pants. They um, are you know, not... Um, really following or ascribing to what we would say, you know, vulvar hygiene is, and you know, and I think that's really important. So the moisture can certainly affect it. But again, it's dependent on the person, dependent on the age, dependent on their hormones. Mm -hmm. So a young woman who has no issues with hormones, she can be in a bathing suit all day, all night, no problems, no issues. But someone who's menopausal, 
I think, may have more challenges because the tissue is more delicate, it's more frail, pale, inelastic, and the tissues might be much more sensitive to chlorine. The aspect about sleeping um, without any clothes on, I think that is much more related to sexual medicine because we know if you sleep without your clothes on, you're more likely to have more sex. So um, maybe Naked a, sleeping. May, okay. maybe visionary. Your gynecologist was visionary, but again, I tend to tell patients to sleep without clothes on because it, it allows more opportunity to snuggle and cuddle and be closer together and skin on skin is much better than skin on on other skin. So I don't I don't know if there's any science behind yeast infections and wearing uh, pajamas, but again, there's some emerging data to support the fact that better sex, sleep naked. But you know what? You had a you did have a great gynecologist who I even brought it up. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Can and you be my gynecologist, <laughs> Dr. Christian? <laughs> I don't think he was gonna be open You're making with, me blush. You're gonna better sex. Yeah. Um, Dr. Critchman, what would you say to women who have or had a yeast infection? Let's say it's a college student who doesn't have easy access to a doctor. Would you just tell her you know, that maybe she should just go to CVS or Rite Aid or whatever and just pick up something over the counter? What would you tell them? So I think that's, that's a challenging question because I think not all discharge is yeast and, um, you know, Discharge is the great mimicker. Normal can be abnormal, abnormal could look normal. And this concept of treating without a proper evaluation can lead to overtreatment. It could lead to resistant organisms. It could lead to persistent and recurrent infections. And even infections that are what we would call non-albicans candidiasis, or those rare strains that are not easily treated. So in an ideal world, um, Yes, we would encourage um, the person to get evaluated. There are a lot of access issues. There's free clinics. Um, you know, we, we definitely have free clinics across the country that can evaluate and see patients. Um, there's telehealth access, which has in its of its own some challenges. But again, um, I understand that sometimes people really need to be self-treating. And again, I think that it, in certain situations, it's perfectly fine after communicating. And then if the symptoms are not resolved, then they have to kind of, I would say, bite the bullet and see a clinician. Here's another one. Does diet play a part? Well, I'll take that as you that. You take that, that one. So we know that um, that delicate ecosystem in the vagina is impacted by women who have diabetes and they have higher blood sugar levels. We also see, and this is clinical, not based on any you know randomized clinical trial, that after Halloween and after Easter, when people eat a lot of sugary sweets and candy, we see more yeast infections. So diet can play a role. And I think that's a good thing for women who maybe are having a lot of recurrent infections. If you think, you know what, let me see if I can make some changes and see if it impacts my body, Mm -hmm. um, that's a good thing to think about. Yeah, and I've had a lot of women that go on, um, you know, a candida elimination diet where they're eliminating certain things specifically. Um, but most of my patients won't give up chocolate. Yeah. I don't know. Well, it's, a little chocolate is okay, but please. No, but, but please, you know, chocolate so, yeah. acts on right. the same receptors in your brain as sex does. So yes. why would you give that up? Right. I mean, I'm not going to. And if you can't have sugar, you, you can get sugar-free chocolate. Yeah. Just saying. Yeah, everybody needs a little, little chocolate in yes. their life. I know I like, I like having mine. 
Um, Bob, there are some new medications on the market for treating yeast infections, as well um, one recently approved for chronic yeast infections. Uh, can you talk about these medications? Are they a Band-Aid? Do they cure? Talk about these. Well, that's a really perceptive question, Patty, because when you say a Band-Aid, it really tells me that you know about all these other medications that are available. And these are those, the ones that all end in Azole. They're all the, the, there's prescriptions and there's over-the-counter creams. And a lot of people, even healthcare providers, are surprised to learn that these medications are not fungicidal. They don't kill the yeast. They don't mm -hmm. kill the fungus. But there is a new medication that has been approved by the FDA. It's called Brexifem. So it's the first in a new class of antifungal medications. And um, it actually works to kill the yeast. I'm sorry, it actually works to kill the yeast. Mm -hmm. Now the thing is, like any medication, it's not for everyone and it should not be used in pregnancy. And I think women should talk to their own healthcare provider for more information about Brexifem. That's, that's really, because sometimes we, we do take things that are nothing but a Band-Aid. And so it's really good to hear that there is something out there, not for all, but for some that will really help them. Uh, when do uh, recurrent yeast infections become a problem? When is it that it should be managed by a nurse practitioner or a physician? When do you, when do you go see one or the other? So I'd love to uh, have Barb's perspective because I know I work, collaborate with nurse practitioners very often and we may have a different approach. Um, I tend to be holistic, and when we have three or more infections a year, to me that's classified yeah. as recurrent. Um, there actually is a new medication that was just recently approved within the last several weeks. Um, it's called Vivjoa, and it is approved for recurrent yeast infections. Um, so there'll be more information about that medication and uh, its availability. However, what we're doing now is we're really treating patients. We are looking at other uh, modalities of treatment, the medication that uh, Barb had mentioned in terms of Brexifem. That is really under study, and they have published some data to support the fact that it will help with recurrence. So you get treated, and then you take a, one pill a month. Uh, it's one treatment, which is actually four pills, two pills in the morning, two pills at night, once a month for six months, and it prevents the recurrence from coming back. But again, right now there's, there's all expert opinion all over the board, what you're using in terms of boric acid, in terms of oral medications, and there's no such thing as a free lunch. Sometimes, you know, if you're taking Diflucan, you've got to check your liver functions. If you are taking boric acid, you know, if you're a woman on earth with gravity and you're putting a lot of cream in your vagina, it's going to leak and it's messy and it's um, uncomfortable. I think the important concept to think about, and what I use in my paradigm, is I use a lot of um, local estrogen because I think the important thing is reestablish the vaginal biome, which we had talked about in terms of the balance between the, all the bacteria that are growing in the vagina. So looking for the, the origin and the why. The other caveat I think we need to think about and take one step backwards is, is all this treatment good? And are we over-treating? And are we treating and treating and treating and treating? And it's almost like we're running around in a circle, a dog chasing its tail. Mm -hmm. So again, sometimes you have to take a step back and kind of say, okay, what is, 
What are we really doing here? Um, are we over-treating? Are we looking at this from a global picture? We talked about diet. We talked about potentially vulvar hygiene implications. And I think looking at all that in totality is really very important. One of the issues that I've seen, um, I've seen the post-COVID candidiasis, which is women who've had COVID and now are having respiratory issues, and they're on chronic steroids, and they can deal with the breathing issues. They cannot deal with what I would call vaginal awareness syndrome. They are thinking about their vagina, the burning, the itching, the pain, 24-7, seven days a week. 365 days a year. So this is hugely impactful. Recurrent of VVC happens in about about 10% of all patients, and it is hugely impactful. It is life-changing, and it really will um, upset a woman. Um, and uh, Barb, tell me a little bit about what you do in terms of your management. Well. Um when a woman has a lot of these infections, um, oftentimes they shop around for a provider because they think, gosh, you didn't do anything for me. You're, so they see other people. And what I try to recognize with my patients and, and educate them about is, have you had an actual culture? Do we know what we're treating? So Michael and I always say, you know, make sure you're treating the correct infection. And so often women have seen other providers who just assume it's yeast and just prescribe um, what's been re readily available in the past. So I'd like to know what we're doing. And then I think it's so important to have a game plan. Women, I'm a woman, all of us, we like a game plan. And we like to know if this doesn't work, we're gonna try this and this and this. And the other part to your point is, you know, keeping a diary of symptoms, making sure that there are no other triggers that are that are occurring. I mean, there's a million things that we can do, but what we need to do is really use our two ears to listen to our patients and find out what's going on in her life that might be causing these recurrences and can we modulate or tweak these other things. So I'll give you a quick example. I have a patient whose partner is an um, auto mechanic and she kept getting all these infections. And I, I couldn't figure it out, and I'm doing culture after culture after culture, and finally I said, tell me a little bit about your sexual practices. And she said, oh, blah, 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 and my partner likes to um, insert his finger in my vagina, and I said, what does he do for work? And she said, oh, he's an auto mechanic. And I said, oh my gosh, did you take a look at his nails? And basically we cured her by getting a nail brush. And they can have their sexual practices the way they want, mm -hmm. Um, and now no more infections. That's amazing that you even yeah. asked that question. That's the kind of yeah. provider everybody <laughs> and deserves. And Barb, Barb has this great thing. She says you have two, two ears. You have two ears. Two ears and one mouth. So mm -hmm. a clinician should listen twice as much as he speaks. There you go. Mm -hmm. And it's very often the opposite. There you go. Yeah. I love this conversation. I want to thank my guest, Dr. Michael Critchman, and our nurse practitioner, Barbed in uh, for a great conversation. And if you like what you heard today, please rate and subscribe to our podcast. For more information on the Patty Brisbane Foundation for Women's Sexual Health and our focus areas, visit the PattyBrisbaneFoundation.org. Remember, sex care is self care, and sexual health matters. 